0: The Bible Study Podcast, episode 98. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of Romans with Romans 10. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. As we jump back into the book of Romans, we're again dealing with the issue of Christ as a sacrifice. And the author continues... The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins— but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the author is leading up to this issue of Christ as sacrifice and says look at the sacrificial system, basically. Look at how every year they continue to do sacrifices. And he says that basically that continuity, that fact that they continue to do it, is itself an argument that this system was incomplete. Remember, he's writing to a Hebrew audience, and so he's writing to an audience that he's trying to move from one system to the other. He is potentially writing to people who are not yet Christian, but he is certainly trying to emphasize where Christ is compared to this old sacrificial system. And so he says, notice how that if it had worked, if the blood of goats, if the blood of bulls had been sufficient to take away our sins, to take away our guilt, then we would have stopped. We would have some years said, hey, that, that did it. That sacrifice finally cleansed us, and therefore we don't need to do this anymore. And that's the argument, at least, that he is making. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made." Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so the author is quoting here from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And he's quoting this not particularly well-known passage here, but it's a passage here that says... That even though the law required the sacrifice and the offerings, that that's not what God desired. And well, that's an odd thing, but it is consistent with a number of places in the Old Testament where it's saying that there is something more that's desired... Than just these sacrifices. Isaiah goes into great depth about that you can't just go through the motions of sacrifice and not give yourselves. And this particular verse here from Psalms is written in the first person and seems to say, the author is saying here, that there's a change. He's interpreting this as a prophetic section of scripture from the Old Testament here, where the author then becomes Jesus, he's saying. And the author is saying, starting with, sacrifices are what you didn't desire, but here I am. I have come to do your will. That there is a change from the sacrificial system to something new that the author of Psalm 40 was prophesying, was looking forward to in this case. Prophesy usually means to speak forth what God is saying. In this case, it would actually be to look into the future. And the author continues. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy." couple interesting things in there. One, obviously, we're talking about Jesus at this point, who finishes that sacrifice once for all, and then sits down, takes a break, because it's done. We don't need to keep redoing this over and over again, and waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. So there's a time of waiting here before Jesus comes again. And one of the interesting things I thought in this particular section was because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever forever. Those who are being made holy. Interesting choice of cases in this sentence that teaches us something about the Christian life. Because of Christ's sacrifice, once for all, done, we are made perfect, complete. Not being made perfect, but made perfect. He has made perfect, past past tense. Those who are being made holy. There are two different things going on in our lives. One is we were redeemed by Jesus, as we talked about last week, which means in the eyes of God, we are perfect. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. We are covered with his blood, and basically our sins have been put on his account and then dealt with. So we're made right with God. But at the same time, we said last week, he loves us as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us as we are. And therefore, we're still being made holy. We are not perfect, but we are reckoned to God as perfect against Jesus' account. But he is dealing with that other part. He is making us like him. He is making us holy. And so that's the role and the job of the Holy Spirit, that sanctification that we talk about, that being made holy. And that is ongoing. That is not a past tense complete. We weren't we weren't covered with Christ's blood and therefore made perfect and made holy, but we were made perfect and being made holy. Interesting the way the author expressed that. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." And in this section, the author wraps up this whole concept. I think he basically says about these people being made holy that God will put His law in their hearts and write them on their minds, and will remember their sin no more. Okay, so he's dealt with sin, and then he then having been forgiven, we don't need the, to do sacrifice anymore. Again, then he talks about the most holy place, and remember, this is the place that the high priest could enter only once a year, only after sacrifice had been given, only through the blood of the sacrifice. And then basically he's saying, remember that place, if we go back a few chapters, was just a foreshadowing, was just a shadow of the real holy place, which is the throne room of God in heaven. And so he is basically saying, now we have confidence by the blood of Jesus to enter into that holy place. A new and living way has been opened through the curtain. Remember when Jesus died, there was an earthquake and the curtain that separated the holy place. That separated that place from the high priest and from the rest of the people was ripped asunder. And then he says, basically, a new and living way now has been opened for us through the curtain which is his body. We have a great high priest and therefore let us draw near to God. The barriers have been removed Between us and God, reconciliation has happened. We are redeemed. And therefore, with a heart full of faith, hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience, again, there's that sprinkling of blood that is the theme of this section of Hebrews. Our bodies washed with pure water. Therefore, what should we do? Therefore, we should hold fast to our hope. We should spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So we should encourage one another, and we should not stop meeting together. Practical advice, if we're going to encourage one another, we have to see each other. And all the more so as we see the day approaching. So just continue on as we are being made holy to encourage one another towards God. And then the author goes on, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We had a really upbeat paragraph about us boldly coming before God, and then we have this very cautionary paragraph that says, take seriously how God deals with sin. You have been given a second chance. All that you have done has been wiped away. What are you going to do now? You've been given a presidential pardon. You've been let out of jail. What do you do? Do you assume that you can get another one again? Do you assume that this is cheap grace, that it doesn't matter what you do? This is a cautionary paragraph. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I personally would prefer the chapter had ended with the paragraph above. But it didn't. It says... Take seriously now your relationship with God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How should we deal with this grace that we have been given? Should we assume that it doesn't matter what we do? No. And the author continues, Remembering those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So this people that he is writing to are Hebrew Christians, and they have been persecuted, and they have stood firm, and they have given a good account of themselves, both through how they behaved and how they stood side by side with those who were under persecution. And then continuing, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while... He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. And so now we see a full picture of why that other paragraph was included. This is a church that's under persecution, and so the author is encouraging them to stand firm just a little while longer. The Lord is coming just a little while longer. And for them, certainly, they are now with God. Now, Jesus may not have come back for a second time just yet in a full fashion, but this church that it was written to here are now with God. With that, we'll bring an into to this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions or comments about this longer episode, feel free to leave them at com or send me an email at host at com. As always, thanks so much for listening.